This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in our lives, and when we get sober, they can almost feel magnified at first because we're adjusting to feeling all our feelings again rather than using alcohol to numb them. I was honestly really surprised when I got sober at how many emotions came up for me. I remember literally saying, I have so many feelings right now, and it felt really overwhelming having to feel them all. But the great thing about that is that it gave me the clarity and awareness that I had some things to work through, like people-pleasing and like my own self-talk. That's where therapy can be so helpful because because it's a safe space to get things off your chest and begin to work through what's been weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. What I really love about BetterHelp is that it's entirely online. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire and you'll be matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime with no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com happiest today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash happiest. There are so many amazing perks of being sober, and one of my favorites is that sobriety allows us to take self-care to the next level, and it gives us such a sense of confidence. There's really nothing like feeling confident in your own skin. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about today's sponsor, One Skin. Their products make it easy to keep your skin healthy while looking and feeling your best. I've told you about how when I got sober, one of my favorite things was starting a skincare routine because that was not something I ever prioritized before, but let's be honest, knowing what the best skincare routine is can be a little overwhelming. That's why I'm excited about OneSkin. There's no complicated routine, no multiple step protocols, just simple, scientifically validated solutions. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code HAPPIEST at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code HAPPIEST. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support my show and tell them I sent you. Hello and welcome to Happiest Sober Podcast. I'm here with everyone's favorite and mom, you always try to argue with me when I say that, but I get enough messages to confirm the people love you. We're just giving them what they want. (laughs) Well, you're a good daughter pumping your mom's ego up. It hey, doesn't need to be pumped. It's just true. How are you? How are you today, Mom? <laughs> I'm good, honey bun. I'm good. Good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know that last week's episode I talked all about um shame, shame and sobriety. Yeah. Yeah. And I said at the end I was gonna call you and have you record an episode with me about it because I felt like you would have a lot, a lot yeah. of other good stuff to say about it. I don't um, know. You you said so many good things. I don't even well, know what I can add, but mm-hmm. you know what? I'm I'm curious about a couple things from you. Sure. Um, well, first of all, what was your experience with shame and sobriety when you when you got sober? I feel I hear from so many people that when they get sober, I think there are two things. I think a people get sober and then they're left feeling all of their shame for things that happened while they were drinking, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Oh my god, how do I forgive myself?" Um, cause they're not like drinking to, to forget it anymore. And then also the shame of like, oh, I wasn't able to figure out how to drink in moderation. I think that's another yeah, level of it funny? is feeling, feeling very flawed for the fact that they had to make this decision. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what was your, can you remember like what that experience was like for you when you first quit drinking? Do you feel like you had one or both of that, those kinds of feelings? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Again with the flashback. 
I know. The 40-year <laughs> flashback. Um, how did I feel? Listen, so I think shame was something that I had early on, even prior to drinking. Mm, and do you that want to was, elaborate? Um, I, I think I always had, so I think I had mentioned on, we've chatted before about me being adopted. I don't know if you, know if, we have if we've said that on the podcast, actually. Yeah. So, so me just yeah, myself, <laughs> my parents adopted my brother who's older, yeah. myself and my sister. And so even though, um, you know, it was framed always. It was an open conversation in our home. I mean, from the time they brought us home, they each had, we each had our own little verse that they sung about us, you know, being there. I feel that he, my brother was their first year chosen um, one. I was mm-hmm. there, you know, I can't the even first that, chosen so. girl. I know. Yeah. I want to, I want to interject mm-hmm. and just say like, your like your parents were so ahead of their time because in your generation adoption was a secret always mm-hmm, it was always mm-hmm. this shameful secret that you like found out at some point yeah, yeah. and your parents you you mm-hmm. never didn't know you were adopted they no, always, always were open yeah. and they made it this special thing like you're so special because we chose you and yeah, yeah. like you said they made yeah. that little song for you like oh, yeah so ahead of their time but okay keep yes. going <laughs> yeah so so you know while one part of me and of course I didn't sort of it was years you know well into my sort of adult life before I sort of started to put these puzzle pieces together and kind of reconcile these two things because, you know, even though I felt so extra special because I was chosen mm-hmm. um, and, you know, they would read books about adoption and, um, you know, saying that that was more so when we were little, little, right. and, you know, if we wanted to extend bedtime and it'd be like, Oh, tell me it's about a story about being adopted, you know, and it oh. would always pull my mother <laughs> and she couldn't walk away from that. So, um, but anyway, so it was always a very positive thing, but it was also at the same time, there wasn't like this continual awareness I'm adopted. I mean, they were, are, will forever be my, my mom and dad, who I love and adore. But I think the thing is that, you know, even though it's not spoken for me anyways, my, for me, I can only speak from my own experience. I think there was this underlying knowing if somebody chose me, wanted me so bad, it meant somebody didn't want me. Mm-hmm. And it was, <clears throat> you know, there were always those two truths. And even though it was framed that your mother loved you so much, it takes so much love to be able to give up a baby when you know, you know, uh, you can't give them everything they need. Like that was, that was the ultimate act of love. So even though it was taught to me like that, there was still this quiet, not even conscious thought when I was little, but still some kind of, you know, everybody else's mom kept their kids, but mine didn't keep me. And I think those are kind of the roots or part of the origin of me sort of feeling like maybe there's something not okay with me. Like maybe I'm just not as good 
as everybody else, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe she would have kept me. So I think there was always on a very unconscious level, because it really was, it wasn't a thought I could have reached for or got hold of as a little kid by any stretch. Like when I say I was well into my adult years, as I was sort of trying to piece these things together, um, I really was. But, uh, you know, looking back, I think those are kind of the roots of there's something missing in me, something not good enough. So I say, you know, those sort of like the roots of shame for me were well in motion or the wheels of it anyways, were well in motion um, when I took a drink. And, you know, maybe that's part and parcel of why I took a drink so young, you know, like who knows, but, um, so certainly no stranger to shame. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think then of course, as we all know, alcohol amplifies any sense of not good enoughness. I mean, we drink or I drank to feel good enough to feel like, I mattered like I was a somebody it gave me, you know, that false sense of um, fitting in and importance and all that jazz. But, you know, the aftermath, of course, is always shame. So and so even when I got sober and I think that this is the dance that we all have to do and and um, it only, you know, happens of course during sobriety so so when I got sober of course I still had a lot of shame about uh you know the things that I did uh, which is really uh, like let's just clarify which I think you spoke to in in your previous episode about shame is that shame is really about who we are. It's not even so much about what we did. It's about who we are. Isn't, isn't okay. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it's, you know, even though I got sober, it was some time to, uh, starting to behave differently, to show up in a different way in my life, because I think shame is really lifted through self-acceptance like self-acceptance and self-love is kind of how we start to turn that around because it is about recognizing I'm okay. I'm enough, you know, just as I am with all of my screw ups, all of the, you know, whatever it is that I think is missing. I'm still, uh, I can love myself. I can accept myself. It's once you start to put those for me anyways, those pieces into action, like, working at cultivating self-acceptance, um, self, you know, self-love, working away at that, that shame really sort of lost its grip. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They just can't, they can't live side by side. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They can't mm-hmm. coexist. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think mom that you had, Do you think you had that shame of like, and as someone who also like identifies as an alcoholic, I know that you feel strongly that like there's, there should be no shame around that word, but Mm -hmm. when you first made the decision, okay, I have a problem. You started going to AA, like Mm -hmm. I've never 
picked up on any shame from you when you've talked about it from mm-hmm. back then, but that's also you talking about it almost 40 years later. Right. So like, right. was that something you really had to come to terms with at the time? Or like, how did you feel about that at the time? Yeah. Well, it's a funny thing, eh? Because when I think back to my time in AA, so part of what makes AA special is you were with Uh, people who share this common bond Mm -hmm. and so some part of being in that group or in that community is a recognition like okay it's not just me and I think that helps certainly like you know poking some holes in the shame story that I'm okay right Um, and even this even even you know sort of more the sober curious movement or this new way of thinking about sobriety still it brings people together so they're like hey it's not just me I'm not alone and I think that's really helpful in poking holes and like a well-worn and carried around backpack of shame right Mm -hmm. so um so there was that but I do think because and I I don't know I I think I'm really lucky um because I don't know that I ever had the same uh, association with the word alcoholic that other people did, because as mm-hmm. I've shared before, you know, my mom was in Al-Anon um, really early on. I was probably eight, nine when she started going to Al-Anon. And so the way that she talked about uh, my father's drinking or my father's alcoholism was really about, you know, they used the word like it's a disease. Right. And I I do think the uh, medical association identifies it as a disease so that they can treat it. Right. So um, I think that's still how they refer to it. I think Mm -hmm. now it's alcohol use disorder medically. Something. Yeah. There has to be some kind of, you know, whatever term. Yeah. Don't quote me on that people. (laughs) I don't know for sure, but 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 I think there's some kind of reference so that, yeah. Uh, so that the medical association can, can create, but um, so anyways, how she talked about it. Uh, and of course, a very open conversation in our home as well. There was always like a real uh, sense of um, bravery, of courage, um, of, uh, you know, almost something like on the recovery side to feel so proud about mm. because she always said it takes a special kind of bravery and courage to be able to look at yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and she also talked so much about separating the person from the problem. So your, your dad, you know, might have, if you know, if I were to use the language she did, like 50 years ago, you know, like, he uh, has alcoholism, but he's not his disease, right? Like, just like, you know, she would often say someone has cancer and you don't call them cancer. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I had a real separation. Like I didn't have, I think a lot of people, uh, the problem with the word is because they associate it with kind of skid row, right? With somebody mm-hmm. who's not functioning, who's who's um, down and out, or they're just like this complete and utter, you know, sort of low life screw up. And everybody's like, I want to be that, right? Don't Mm -hmm. tell me I'm that. Mm -hmm. 
So, uh, you know, but I didn't have that because my mm. father was a, he was a professional, you know, he was a, he was a lawyer. He, um, always had his job. He, you know, um, you had seen like what an actual drinking problem looks like, looks like in terms yeah. of like still functioning, not the stereotypical yeah. rock bottom, like yeah. lost your job, lost your house. Yeah. Got, like you, you yeah. saw, oh, you can yeah. be like a really functioning person yeah. in and, society still and still, and still struggle with this. this. Yeah. 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 So, so I've always had sort of a different viewpoint, but, you know, I do remember, like I had some reluctance, you know, cause I had that guy who's always like, are you an alcoholic, Megan? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> when I first started going to AA and I had some reluctance in saying it Yeah, probably too, cause I just didn't like being told what to do, but I think it, it can feel, you know, even with the background that I had, it can feel like a bit of a, a big a big word. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I really, when I, I think back, you know, I, I don't know if shame is the right word. Sorry. I'm hesitating here a little bit because mm-hmm. you know, I'm remembering even like when I was, you know, married and had you guys, there was still sort of this feeling of like, when I had to tell people, you know, I'm in a social situation with people I don't know. And that I, yeah. the conversation comes up, oh, what do you want to drink? And you have to do the, oh, I don't drink because I still knew what other people thought. Right. You, you know what I mean? Sort of what their idea of, of that would be. And it wasn't about the fact that any stereotype I thought they might had, uh, have about an alcoholic. It was more about uh, just their stereotype about, oh, you're a drag. Sober people, you're right? no fun. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. I was so, literally <laughs> thinking about that today, mom, like an hour yeah. before we hopped on. Yeah. I was looking at all the non-alcoholic drinks in my fridge because I'm going to a bachelorette this weekend right. with a group of people who I don't know. And I literally was just like, I honestly just transported myself <laughs> into their shoes. And I was like, man, if I was them, like put like my drinking self, I was like, I would think I was a drag this weekend. Right, like, you know, right. I know how like I know well, how I wanted people to drink with me when I was a drinker. And then yeah. it's hard to not like project that and be like, oh, that's what these people are gonna think yeah. of me going into it. Like yeah. I'm when I'm thinking about going to this bachelorette, I'm not so much like oh, I'm going to struggle with being sober. I'm more so just like, oh my God, are they just going to think I'm a buzzkill? Right. Because <laughs> you but just it, know. Yeah. But isn't that the, isn't that the sort of the whole crux of it? Because look, like shame is rooted in the, I'm not okay. Shame is rooted in sort of in self-judgment, in worrying about other people's judgment, right? And so- we don't even know what they're going to think. I mean, by the time it gets rolling, anyone there who's a really serious committed drinker <laughs> is not going to have a clue what you're doing. Yeah. But yet funny how we can just take ourselves out, right? Like with the thought about every negative thing we think someone's going to think. Someone's thinking, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, and that's the work right? Mm -hmm. Is really deciding like, if, if the antidote to shame is self-acceptance and self-love, right? It's like, okay, so what story am I, am I going to be participating in, in telling about myself, about who I am? 
over this weekend. Yeah. Right. right? And I have been feeling pretty good about it. It was Mm -hmm. kind of just like a little fleeting thought earlier when I was thinking back in my drinks, I was like, oh gosh. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, and those things always are always going to pop up. Yeah. Right. right? We're always going to have these little moments where we're like, for me, because for, oh my Lord, like forever, forever. I never walked into an LCBO. Like forever. Once I quit drinking, I, I just remember never went you in. saying this. And for people listening, not from Ontario, that's where you buy alcohol. Oh, right. In Ontario, yeah. that's yeah. the liquor store, the LCBO. Yeah. But I remember you saying this. Go, you say, yeah. So, well, <laughs> well, so like I hadn't been in one. So when did I get sober in 83? And probably I think it was around, I don't know, maybe 2011 when I walked back in. For the first time ever. To buy me alcohol. To an LCBO. Sure. Yeah, probably to buy, <laughs> to buy one for you or for, for something. Like I needed yeah. to do something. Um, his, um, or maybe you were, yeah, were you trying? Anyways, it doesn't matter. But I went in and I was in a panic in there. Like, and a little bit of a. I know a little bit of a shame spiral about like, I couldn't stand the thought that people were looking at me thinking that I was a drinker. And I was like, what is that about? And I realized like my thought about myself as a drinker are all those really negative, Uh... shameful things. And so thinking that somebody's thinking of me as as a drinker kind of equaled that. Means like they're thinking of you as that. Like this. Ah. Uh, Yeah. So it it was really, it was a funny um, experience, but. Oh my God, mom. That's so funny because I feel like anyone listening to that story, you saying that you walked into the liquor store and like started to panic would think Mm -hmm. that it was because you were feeling tempted. No, you were just like, oh my God, I don't want anybody here to think that I drink. (laughs) All right. It's not funny because my own association with that version of me Mm. is like, so right. Like, oh, it's not who I am. It's not even remotely who I am today. Like, I don't want to be affiliated with that. You know, it's funny. I know what you mean, though, because like speaking of the like different versions, it's like Mm -hmm. I was saying last week how like the people in my life who only ever met me drunk. Mm -hmm. And like, I like certain people who I have really shameful stories attached to, or like stories I feel shame about attached to, it's almost the only, it's like my little like consolation where I'm like, yeah, but like, if I ran into them on the street now, I could be, so I could have my freaking head held high. Cause like, look at me now. So I get that, like not wanting to be associated with like that that version version of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Or who you were, what you were doing back then. Mm -hmm. I think like one of the things that was, um, just so helpful for me, even in that sort of like untangling from shame is what I said earlier. It was like um, Jack's mom. So my husband's mom was uh, in AA way back when, when, when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And anyways, I remember, you know, her telling me, um, cause I would ask her a lot about um, why she was sober. And I had so many questions because I was active. We know why. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I remember, um, you know, when I was sober, her sort of saying like, it's okay not to be okay. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know that's something that we hear all the time now, but for me, it was so helpful in letting go of shame because it was like, it's okay. It's actually normal. It's actually necessary not to be okay. Mm-hmm. And these moments when we're not okay, it creates this contrast where we want we want something more. We want to feel better. We want to feel different, which is the thing that pushes us forward in our life. It's a really vital, it is, it's a vital part of our own recovery. Like those, those moments in time where we're not okay. Mm -hmm. And so instead of thinking about it, like, Oh my God, there's, I'm not okay. And I was so, and that was the other reason why it took me why I sort of stumbled with getting help initially was like, Oh, if I do this, it means I'm not okay. And I can't bear to not be okay because mm-hmm. right, the shame of that, of like actually admitting I'm not okay was yeah. crippling until, you know, she was like, it's okay not to be okay. And like, it's necessary. And many times throughout my life, that's been so helpful when I haven't been okay. It's like, that's all right. This is the thing in this moment. It's just, it's giving me great contrast. It's letting me reach for something more. It's letting me recognize that I don't want this. Like I want this, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's the pathway forward. And so it helped alleviate this feeling of shame. Like, oh, there's something wrong with me. Instead of it's just a necessary part of our own evolution and our own growth. It's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so good, mom. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking back to because for me that was telling you that I wanted to get sober Mm -hmm. and I don't I I don't think that for me what tripped me up was feeling like it wasn't okay to be struggling I think for me it was like struggling for so long but not being willing to change and feeling Mm -hmm. like oh saying it out loud equals needing to change and I'm not ready to do that Mm -hmm. like that was such a big hang up for me When I had to tell you, I couldn't tell you until I knew I was going to do it because you know why? Because I think then there would be shame in you knowing I'm struggling and me still doing it. You know what I mean? I couldn't live with the shame of like drinking in front of you when I just told you how much I'm struggling with drinking and feeling like you're judging me. Like to me there, that was so much shame. So I wanted so badly while I was drinking to not let anyone in on the fact that I was struggling with it struggling because that meant I would have to do something. And that thought was terrifying. Yeah. I so relate to that in like a different capacity, like in, in just even in my own marriage in my Mm. first marriage, like, yeah, you know, being so desperately unhappy and let's just say it's, that's the piece, the unhappy. It doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily matter what the circumstances, the rule applies. It's like, you know, I was so desperately unhappy, but it was like, if I say it out loud and I don't do anything about it, then I'm a coward and I can't bear to be a coward. I can't, I don't. Right. So then you slip back into denial Mm -hmm. and you tell yourself the story. Oh, it's not that bad. So with drinking, you you have to tell yourself the story. That's not that bad. Wasn't that terrible. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you think you have to do something different. And so I say always just start telling yourself the truth, even if you're not ready to do anything about it yet. Just be present with your own truth. 
mm-hmm. right? Because then when you're ready to make a decision, you're making it from this place of truth and you're not making it from this this lie or this this place of denial. But I think like give yourself permission to tell yourself the truth and you don't have to take action until you're ready. But it's this nasty game of denial that we do that just prolongs our suffering more. So mm-hmm. you think your drinking's problematic, then just sit quietly with your own knowing. You don't even have to tell anybody yet if you don't want to, but tell yourself the truth. You right. owe yourself the truth, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's 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 like a, I feel like it's from the place of truth that our life can start to shift, right? And it will do it in perfect timing. Nothing's going to ever happen before we're ready, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I get that, Maddie. Like I, I really, I do relate to that, even though that wasn't specific in my sober You're drinking. Thing. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And um, oh, I love what you just said, mom. It got me emotional. <laughs> I was I was just gonna say, like the other thing about it is was for me removing the idea that if I don't take action right away, that it meant I'm a coward. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. anything. Right. Yeah. So like take the judgment away. If you're not ready to to take any action, it's okay, but just be present, sit with, look honestly. Um at your own truth and because you can find a way forward from there instead of like sitting in the muck and the confusion of trying to pretend like oh everything's (laughs) okay when it's not right like that's yeah terrible place to be anyway sorry go ahead yeah no don't apologize um something I wanted to ask you that I was thinking about before earlier today um before we recorded is because you did the 12 steps And like one of the 12 steps, I don't even know all the 12 steps, but I know there's like taking personal inventory. (laughs) 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 I know that there's like taking inventory and there's like making amends. And I'm really curious Mm -hmm. when you think of when you first quit drinking and Mm -hmm. we, we all have those like, you know, shameful moments from our drinking days, how big, like, um, how much do you think those steps helped you release shame and forgive yourself? Um, I don't know. That's, mm. that's a really great question because this is just, again, my personal opinion. Yeah. Um, your experience. That's why I'm curious to talk yeah. to you because I talked about my experience with shame, but I'm like, mm. I'll be interested. I didn't do 12 steps. So I'm curious yeah. what, yeah. What yeah. role played for you? Um, I think, um, you know, in teeny, tiny, in teeny, tiny ways, I think it was, um, you know, it, it allowed me to sort of exercise a vulnerability muscle, I suppose, mm-hmm. right, to maybe let people see, um, or let me see that if somebody knows some of my faults, that they're not going to completely abandon me. I'm mm. not going to be thrown out in the trash kind of thing. But I think one of the the misconceptions, or at least my misconception, I'll say that, was that, you know, you can do this fourth step and then you can feel great. 
right? What's or the, the fifth step? step. So the fourth step is making the <laughs> fearless, uh, um, uh, the inventory we made a fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And yeah. Okay, okay. And then the fifth step, I think, and forgive me any, any people, because it's been a very long time, but is, um, I think it's admitted to God, to ourselves, and then other human beings, the exact nature of our wrongs. I think it might be the fifth step where you share it with someone, but whatever, whatever order they're in or whatever they are. I just think that it's, it is, um, it's an evolution. It's a process because it's a process of self-discovery. I think really it should be what it should be is, you know, a process of self-acceptance right? Mm. Like, yeah, I did these things. And, and, um, you know, and then of course, there's making amends, you can certainly apologize. And I think that's beneficial, if and when it's, you know, appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think there can sort of be some kind of relief in that, like in being accountable, mm-hmm. right, taking responsibility for yourself and your actions. But this sort of idea of, you know, taking my own inventory and then admitting it, you know, everything that was wrong. It was not relief for me. That was no, no, like, you know, I mean, it's maybe like, yeah, I did it. It's, you know, sort of showing up for myself, being committed to myself, to my process of change, but it was an ongoing thing. Like, I don't think, and I don't know that they profess that either. It's not a one and done. And I think that's like, that is life. There is no one and done. Like we're always bumping up against these things. It's just, you know, when I bump up against stuff now, if something hits my button or I'm triggered or bothered or upset or angry or whatever it is, you know, feeling regret or who knows what, it's like now I quickly know, now I quickly know how to how to unhook from that. I quickly mm. know, you know, it doesn't pull me under for days on end anymore but um and I think that's just life it's not about eliminating any problems or conflict it's about what we do when when they show up right it's the the toolbox that you have or the skill set you develop right it's like that allows you to to process and work through it quicker like I just don't get and I was thinking about even shame Maddie and I can't think like I don't think I really feel shame anymore like I don't Mm. feel like I'm okay with who I am like are there areas where I recognize I want to grow I want to keep evolving are there a bajillion times where I'm like Mm, didn't handle that well <laughs> All right whoops could have done better there but it doesn't equal who I am isn't okay like it right. never equals that anymore it's that it's, separation of like your mistakes aren't you like yeah. you're, you're not your mistakes you're yeah yeah yeah, yeah. your value is so, still inherent it, yeah regardless yeah. Yeah. and so that's I think that's the difference for me that's that's never in question for me anymore. Um, like my, you know, my, my worth, my self-worth. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A question that I, I've gotten quite a few times um, mm-hmm. from 
people who have listened to the podcast when I've when we both have talked about like being very proud of ourselves, proud of the mm-hmm. people we are in sobriety. I've had some people say like, how do you get there? Because I feel so much shame about it. Like, how do you get there? What would you what would you say? To, how would you answer that? Yeah. So like really one building block at a time. Mm. So, and I think like, look, everything is about what we choose to focus on. What are we going to look at? What are we going to think about? Mm. And I think, you know, we can really stay in this place of feeling so much shame, but it's really helpful to remember that shame is like who I am isn't okay. Mm -hmm. And that's just a lie. That's not true. Who you are, like who you are is inherently okay right like you are born okay you are you are enough as you are and I think often we think like like I used to feel like how do I know like I'm how do I know I'm worthy how do I know I'm I'm enough because I don't feel like I am Mm -hmm. and for me it really became um really clear that um, there's no absolute, like no one's going to yell down from above and say, that's it. You are <laughs> you worthy. <made> it. <laughs> You're okay. Go forth. Right. It was like, that's never going to happen. So no matter what I did, no matter who told me I was great, that they loved me, that I was, you know, spectacular enough, whatever. I didn't believe that. And so I had this moment of realizing like, God, you know, even if people are telling me that I'm enough, that I'm lovable, I'm worthy, like if I'm not going to ever even believe it when someone's saying like, when's it going to happen? Right. There are no absolutes. Nobody's going to yell down and tell me. And so it was like realizing whatever we are believing becomes our experience. That's how we are going to experience life. You can't experience anything beyond that. Mm. So as long as I'm going to keep believing I'm not worthy, that's going to be my experience because it actually didn't matter that people were telling me I was right. Like the people who loved me were telling me it didn't matter. I was like, no, I still don't feel it. So Mm. I realized it's not a feeling. It's a decision I had to make. And so it was like, as long as I'm believing I'm, I'm not worthy and I'm not good enough. That's my experience of myself in life. And I am so freaking tired of feeling like this. Like, I don't want to feel like this anymore. So why do I keep choosing this? That's insanity. That's crazy. And I was like, what would happen if I just decided to believe I'm enough? Like what on earth would happen? You know, Nobody else has to know what I think about myself ever. So I can sit here thinking terrible things about myself. Nobody knows I'm thinking these awful things, but I'm suffering. Or I could sit here and tell myself, hey, you are enough. You are worthy. You matter. You're good hearted. You're kind. I'm going to love myself. I'm going all in. And nobody else would know, but I would just feel good. So what the freaking hell? Why don't I just (laughs) allow myself to feel good? So it was really like a jumping off a cliff moment. It was like, if I decide I'm going to do this, I get to feel good. This will be my experience in the world. And I want this. 
And so I just did. It was like, felt so much like jumping off a cliff into the abyss. Like, screw it. I'm, I'm, I'm worthy. That's my story. That's what I'm going to choose to believe because I want to feel that way. And from that moment on, whenever like any old voice would sort of creep in, I'd be like, no, no, I want to feel this way. I want to experience myself like this because the only thing that makes anything true is what we are choosing to believe. Mm. So and there's no way I'm ever going to know what the truth is. Nobody's going to tell me if I'm worthy or not. So I'm going to choose this. And so it was sort of this little like, you know, ongoing decision I would make that this is what I choose to believe because I want to feel this way. And bit by bit, I think, you know, when we, the other thing is accepting ourselves, like, it is absolutely perfectly okay to be imperfect. Like, I don't have to be perfect for anybody. Like, for what? Is someone going to come along and give me a perfect medal? Am I going to have more <laughs> friends? Am I going to, like, it's just so crazy. Yeah. Right? This ridiculous little thing going on in and our head. Yeah. We don't expect perfection from anybody else. No. And honestly, the most interesting, self aware, intelligent, fascinating people are usually people who have a freaking story who've messed up a ton along the way and freaking learned from it yeah like look at anyone that's actually such like if you are struggling with shame look at someone you really admire and go look at research into their story yeah yeah right like everyone has one yeah uh, 100 percent. and I think it's like it's kind of crazy this whole idea like you know, perfectionism. I think it was Brene Brown who said this that I just love. Lots of so Brene much. Brown quotes in our shame right? episodes. Eh? Wow. She's kind <laughs> she's, of the that's queen her specialty. That, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think she says, um, uh, what is it? Perfectionism, um, it's not about trying to be better, right? when we're being perfectionistic or, you know, struggling with that, that perfectionism is always, or it's not even about self-improvement. Like we maybe like to cloud it that way. Oh, I'm a perfectionist, right? Mm -hmm. Which, you know, I used to think, oh, I'm a perfectionist with like certain things that I liked to do. I wanted them to be perfect. And then I read, you know, she said, that's not about trying to do something really well, that it's, always about perfectionism is about trying to earn approval. And I was like, mm. oh my God, that's it. You know, that's kind of the root of it. Right. It's like wanting approval, wanting other people um, to see, uh, to give you that stamp. Like I'm okay. It's looking mm. for validation outside of yourself and you are never going to find enough. There's never going to be enough people to tell you you're okay. You're right. Like uh, we approve you're golden, Uh, like every situation. So you're going to be chasing it forever. So again, it comes back to these are the things we need to give to ourselves. It's our job, right? It isn't anybody else's job to give that to us. That's so good, mom. Mm -hmm. So good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it really is true. Like going back to what you said about the the building blocks, like I really feel like that's the way. 
at least from my experience, the way to kind of like heal from shame about especially specifically about our drinking days is to just keep getting more sober time under your belt. Because I think time is what shifts it Mm -hmm. into like the more life you do. Inevitably, if you're sober, you're going to grow. You're going to like your life is going to change. You're going to transform better choices, different. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, it's like a steamable axe, right? You're doing a steamable axe. You're behaving in ways you can feel proud of. And like that, I just feel like even just the time, like sober life every day, every sober experience is like a building block to like yeah. build back up how you feel about yourself. Yes. Yes. And I was watching, cause I was texting you earlier saying, Oh, oh yeah. I'm just watching the light we carry like Michelle Obama and, um, and Oprah talking. And yeah. they said, um, she was talking about her, her dad, um, Michelle's dad always said, Nobody can make you feel bad about yourself if you feel good about yourself. Mm. And it's like, right? Like, again, once we decide we're enough, once we decide, give ourselves permission, make that stand, claim it, right? That it's your job to feel good about yourself. It's your job to approve of yourself. Um, then it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. You really get to that place where it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. And I think I had said before to Maddie, like I used to worry all the time about, you know, somebody didn't smile at me. I was like, Oh my God, what did I do? What? Right. I mean, Uh, yeah, I've always been the same. I internalized people. I think one of the last times I was at home with Mm -hmm. you and Jack, he came home from work and he was like eating and he's, and I was like, I feel like you guys are mad at me. Right. (laughs) Right. You both were like, what are you talking about? Yeah. (laughs) And so, so it's like, um, when we take that job back for ourselves, when we Mm -hmm. take on that responsibility, you just become, you know, you don't need it from anybody else. It has to come from within for it to count because you're always double checking it. Okay. Well, these guys are good with me now. Good. But I'm not sure if this person is, let me just go make sure. Right. Like they're happy with me. So yeah, you're forever chasing that. So building blocks, that's true. The more, the more you start showing up for yourself, and in sobriety, you get to that. I mean, that's mm-hmm. doing it right. As you start to get more days in, it really does start to shift. You start to find these little things you feel really proud of. You did something really hard, like you were out somewhere and you didn't pick up that drink or you were yeah. really upset with somebody and you didn't pick up that drink to soothe your emotions. You did something else instead. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you start to feel good about yourself and bit by bit by bit. Yeah. It starts to shift. And when you start to feel good about yourself, you tap into your own sense of power, your own sense of control in your own life. Right. Like that you're in charge of how you feel and you're not, it's not the outside world that's dictating how you feel you get to decide how you feel. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, there it's, it's all kind of entwined, isn't it? But I yeah. think it's worth consciously deciding to take responsibility for your own feelings, not leaving that job to anybody else, not expecting anybody else to make you feel good about yourself, but taking it on. And look, you have so much to feel good about yourself for like so much, Right. Yeah, on this little sober journey, right? A hundred percent. Every yeah. single thing. That's what I, you know what? That's what something I really love about sobriety. Cause you know, I'm me and I love 
a celebration. <laughs> I love any excuse to celebrate anything. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I just got sober so I could have two birthdays a year. Who's to say? <laughs> That's very on brand, Maddie. It tracks. But no, it's true. Like every single thing in sobriety can be a celebration, an excuse mm-hmm. to celebrate yourself. Like, oh, you got through the day? Cool. Amazing. Yeah. Celebrate it. Like, no, literally everything, <laughs> yeah. anything you do, you go to a party, you go to this, you get through a bad day, you get through a good day. Cause like yeah. anything in our world is an excuse to drink. Yeah. So every day you do sober is a day yeah. where you had a gajillion opportunities yeah. to drink and you didn't. And that's and amazing. Didn't. And it's huge, right? Yeah. It's like, it's like changing a pattern. It's changing. I mean, it's changing a pattern. It's changing beliefs. It's changing. Mm-hmm. It's doing something you didn't think you could do. I mean, all of those things start to build self-esteem, self-worth, right? Pride in yourself. And the more, the more you do that, the smaller and smaller and smaller shame gets. Yeah. Yeah. Cause then that starts to outweigh the shame. They can't exist together. They can't. And so you really do heal that by self-acceptance, right? Yeah. 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 You're right, mom. Self-acceptance is the is mm-hmm. the antidote, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Yeah. 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 Oh, that was so good, mom. Look at you at the mm-hmm. beginning. I don't know what I'll have to add. It <laughs> 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 was so good. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it is interesting, eh? Interesting. Yeah. Did you, did you um, struggle with shame for a long time, Maddie, once you got sober? Did you find that shifted quickly for you? Do you still have times of feeling that way? Like, where are you at? Just ask you you quickly. Yeah, no, that's, it's, I'm, I'm, I have to think on it. Mm -hmm. I don't feel shame about my sobriety. Yeah. I don't feel any shame about my sobriety. And Mm -hmm. you know, what's so funny is that I, also don't feel shame for the things that I did anymore. But yeah. because of today, I was think because I knew we were talking about this today. I was like yeah. thinking on it and like yeah. a, a drunk memory I haven't thought about in a long time popped mm-hmm. into my mind and I started to go down a little bit. I was really replaying it and starting to feel like, oh my God, and like cringing <laughs> and like, and I kind of caught it and was like, oh, okay, pass me, <laughs> move along. <laughs> it was funny. It was because we were going to oh, record good. this today. Yeah. I went, went down a little memory yeah. lane. But isn't um, that but, a great thing to go like, oh, wait a minute. I I'm, get to I'm interrupt it. This I version of me now. It. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I don't have to go down that like, yep. little path into the ditch and do a shame spiral. I don't have to. I exactly. get to recognize it's happening and go, nope, not doing it. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So it was, a, it was a pretty fleeting little Excellent. one, but I kind of laughed about it after. But you know what? I think that in my earlier days, I think, I don't think I felt shame so much about needing to quit drinking when I first did it. Cause I think, Mm -hmm. I think I almost, if this makes sense and tell me if it doesn't, but it's almost like I worked through that before I made the decision because I, um, for me, I wasn't ready. Like I wasn't ready until I let go of that. If that makes sense. Like I was too scared to say it until I was ready to do it. And I wasn't ready to do it until I detached from that Mm -hmm. feeling of like, there's something Mm -hmm. wrong Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. me for not being able to figure this out. Like that was like part of my process to like deciding to get sober was detaching from that. And, and I was going to say, you're right, because I remember how 
how, um, which is, I think, what always sparked my little feeling of defensiveness when you talk about <laughs> AA, because you were like so adamant, like, huh, they want to make us think that. <laughs> I was like, I'm not the problem. Yeah. So that that was the avenue for you to be able to go, okay. For me to detach yeah. from the idea that not that having, you know, problem with my drinking meant anything that there was yeah, anything wrong, wrong with, with me. You. I had to tap to detach from that before I was willing to find the courage to get sober. Yeah. So when I got sober, I didn't have, I think pretty quickly I had the pride of like, I'm doing something cool, yeah. like good, good for me, proud. But yeah. I think the, the drunk memories was one that lingered longer. Yeah. Um, and that was just something though, that like, it was more so just things would pop into my mind, but I felt, I felt so much more shame for my drunk memories in my drinking days. Like, all the time when I was drinking, I would all the time replay my shameful drinking memories because it was still who I was. Of course. So it was more yeah. so struggling with like the person I was and the way I was acting. But it was almost like once I decided to quit drinking, mm-hmm. it quieted all that shame because I was able to just be like, but I'm doing, something, doing something different now. Yes. I'm different. Yeah. I'm, I'm changing it. I'm different. Um, and I think I was able to do that fairly, fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. It made mm-hmm. me feel um it just felt like a way of acknowledging to myself that I was better than that. If that yeah. makes sense. Like it was yeah. a way of like, almost like <laughs> disowning <laughs> everything yeah. I did. Yeah. I was like, I'm the sober me now. I don't know her. <laughs> Walk right by yourself. Up yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But I think in the, in the early days, it was a lot more just like cringing at yeah. certain things and like yes. thinking of them and being like, Oh my God, I can't believe I did that. That's so yeah. embarrassing. And then that yeah. just got quieter and quieter with time, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, that was the shame was the things that I did, but I had so much more shame. I was full of shame in my drinking days and like getting sober for me really mm-hmm. kind of healed that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. And of course, like, how could any of us really not have, because we keep repeating the thing. Like we do something, we feel so terrible about it. And then do we it feel again. Embarrassed, we feel regretful and then we do it again. So it's like shame on top of shame, on top of shame, on top of shame, right? When you yes. keep doing the thing you don't want to do. Yeah. Or like, mm-hmm. yeah, uh-huh. I can think of so many like specific scenarios where I was actively, every time I would drink, I would make that situation worse. <laughs> <laughs> and then reel about it in the morning and then get drunk and like do the same thing. And like, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. my God. So yeah, yeah, for me, shame is really attached to like my drinking days and getting yeah. sober was like the way that I worked, worked through it all and let it go Aww. over time, over yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. But of course, yeah, of course. I love that. I'm proud of you, Maddie. Proud of you, mom. Mm-hmm. Thanks yeah. for coming on. This was such a fun, Thanks this was a fun combo. It flew by too. It was a quick little, uh, quick little impromptu. Let's jump on today. It <laughs> was, it was. Right? I finished mm-hmm. recording that episode and was like, so 
We're gonna have to hop on. <laughs> Aw, but it was so fun. I always love getting on these with you. Yeah, me too. Thanks, mom. Nice love to ya. See your beautiful face. Love you too. too. Thanks everyone for listening. <laughs> Rate, review, subscribe. Follow me on Instagram at Happy is Sober and at Happy is Sober Podcast. Um, and subscribe to my newsletter at happiestsober.com. I'll chat with you all next week. Remember that life's happiest when you're sober. Bye. Oh, hey, it's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.